0: Thank you team, that is so good. Well, we're going to talk today uh, about a topic that's, that's certainly dear to my heart right at the moment, and I uh, had a very in- interesting week this week. We had, uh, over at our East Campus, thank you, Bowie, we had a funeral. Uh, some of you may have been at that funeral, it was a funeral for a man by the name of Andy Bray. Andy Bray is, was an extraordinary human being, and um, we knew the Brays a little bit. And, uh, of course, Ben Bray came to this congregation for a season. um, And it was uh, really quite tragic uh, in the sense that, I mean, I think Andy, I think he was 63, uh, died of a heart attack, and had had a lot of health issues over the years. But what a powerful and influential couple uh, in New Zealand and beyond. And when someone is taken at that age, it it just raises so many challenging questions. Uh, I have been... been involved in and been to many, many funerals uh, over my last 20-odd years, Um, and yet there are a handful of funerals that particularly stand out, and this was one of them. And one of the the stories that they shared particularly struck me, and uh, Andy was uh, amongst many other health issues, was also in, in heart failure. And when the doctors were aware that he was beginning to go down very rapidly, they decided that there was a... Uh, As I understand it, there was a slim chance of a surgical procedure being able to fix that. But chances were that it wasn't going to work. Um, Just before Andy Bray went into surgery, which he ultimately didn't come out of, um, they shared at the funeral about how he sent a final message to his wife. And his final message ended with, I want you to know that I'm fine on the inside. It is well. With my soul. I think what struck me most about that was the astonishing strength of a man who as he is facing his own impending death is able to communicate with those around him and to provide such strength for them such peace and comfort for them and I guess I've done a lot of thinking over the week about how would I have done if I was in that same place How would I have responded if I was facing my own impending death? And I I, I hope, I would like to hope that I would be able to be someone like Andy who is able to strengthen himself and strengthen others in that place. You know I was reading this week in the Bible the story of David uh, again at Ziklag and I know some of you will be familiar with that story but let me unpack that very briefly. You know, David is this uh, young man who has had a prophetic message from God passed on through the prophet that he is the the incumbent king. He's the he's the next big guy, and he has had uh, not only that phenomenal encouragement as a young boy, but he's seen some incredible wins. I mean, for starters, he goes out with a sling and stone and takes down uh, the most famous soldier of his generation. Um, he then goes on to have great success with his music in the house of the king. Then he is made a soldier and has incredible success leading the armies of Israel in battle. Um, And yet now he's on the run. He's on the run from the king, the king threatened by this young guy, this young guy who has had this prophecy, this young guy who's going to succeed him who is not his son. And he is now hunted and he's chased down uh, around the, the... The Middle East, essentially, and a whole bunch of men, discontented men, uh, gathered around David. And in the season, one of the things they were doing was they were doing their bit for for God and for Israel, even if they couldn't do it officially. And so they had taken residence in a city called Ziklag, where their families were and their children were. And they would go out on, on raiding parties and go out to Philistine outposts and wreak havoc and yet, on this particular day, just another ordinary day, they've been out for probably several days and they come back home to find that, that literally their the worst nightmare has come to pass. In, in the time since they've been away, someone has come. An army has come. They've ransacked their place, burnt Ziklag, and taken all of their families, taken their wives, their children, their possessions. And it's interesting in the scripture, their pain is graphic. Let me read it to you, 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag, burned it down, and taken captive the woman and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed none of them, which David and his men, of course, did not know and could not know they killed none of them but carried them off and went their way when David and his men came to the city they found it burned down and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive and then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep verse 6 David was in great danger for the men spoke of stoning him because all of them were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. And then we have this fascinating statement. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And my question is, how does he do that? We're not given the detail of exactly what David did, but whatever David did, it shifted him from an emotional and faith state to an entirely different place that enabled him to do things that no one else around him was able to do. I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, there is an extensive online heavenly equivalent of YouTube. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to check out. Like, I really want to see like the parting of the Red Sea. A little macabre, but I'm super keen to see Elijah calling down fire on the, on, on the whole sacrifice thing. That, that, that would be epic. Actually quite keen to see Peter walk on water and how that actually rolled. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to see. This is another one I want to see. I want to see the rerun of Ziklag and what David did. That so changed his state that he was able to respond in an entirely different way than every other man around about him. In the place that David moved himself to, he gave leadership, he made decisions, he provided direction, he made tough values-based choices as you will see if you read the story, and ultimately, recovered absolutely everything that was lost. And so this morning, I wanna talk about three questions. Three questions that I believe can change everything. Three questions that we can ask ourselves that will enable ourselves, enable us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord when we face moments like this. Now, we've got to to be very very clear as we enter into this discussion. David was just as devastated as his men. He was just as devastated. It wasn't like, oh, it didn't hit David as hard. He was like, oh, look, I'm all good. It hit David just as hard as it hit anybody else. In fact, what David was dealing with was magnified because in the midst of it, He was now faced by the bitterness and the rage and the anger he can see in the eyes of the men, all fighting men, that he now sees is turned towards him. And he realizes now that not only has he lost everything, but he could also lose his life. These men were in a a profoundly negative state of mind, profoundly negative. They they lost sight of, of, of God and what the possibilities were with God. They were in this really unresourceful, unbelieving place where they were about to compound their own tragedy, potentially by murdering the person, the only person who, as it turned out, had what it took to help them recover what had been lost. They were no longer operating on faith. They were no longer in a place of hope or expectation that God would move. David, however, went off by himself, it would appear, and came back, shortly thereafter in a different state, in a different place. How did he do that? And how can we, when we are faced with those things, when they come in our lives? I believe we can do that by asking three questions. You know that asking questions is often the fastest way to move ourselves from a negative place or a place of no faith to a place of having faith. I remember one time I was on a missions trip and uh, with Pastor Bob, we were visiting, we were in Malaysia and uh, the team had to be split and half of the team had to go into Kuching, stay in a four-star hotel, preach at the churches, be taken to restaurants for dinner, just generally suffering for Jesus. And the other side of the team had to go out into the furthest parts of the jungle uh, and stay in a kampong. Actually, we ended up going to the second-to-last village before the road just ended in the middle of the Borneo jungle. And someone had to go on that team. And Bob very graciously gave me the opportunity, delegated to me the opportunity to go to the jungle. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Um, So as it turned out, of course, I had far more adventures than he did. So we were out there in the jungle, and um, I mean, we were we were we were a long long way from home. And um, I I find I have these moments relatively regularly when I'm in significantly uncomfortable situations. I found myself sitting in a we were in this kind of clearing that had been hacked out of the jungle, and there's a there's like a concrete block shed thing there, and then there's all these thatched kampungs around us. There are insects that you know what insects sound like? Hey, like. yeah, these insects sounded like lawn mowers. Like you could hear the mosquitoes coming like. Like I was sure that if just three or four of them could get organized, they'd just pick me up, take me off in the jungle and suck me dry. I mean, it was frightening. And we're, we're in this place with all these people. And I, I had the moment that I have from time to time, which is the, yeah, no, nah, I want to go home now. I want to go home right now. This has been fun, but I'm going home. Of course, I couldn't go home because I'm like five hours by four-wheel drive like from the nearest road, let alone anything else. And uh, and so what do you do when you're in that unresourceful, had no faith, don't want to be here? I've got to preach to these people. I have no idea what their world is like living out here. uh, What do you do? And um, I stumbled across the power of just asking a different question. So instead of asking, what am I doing here, which is not a helpful question, that does not produce helpful answers, I asked the question, what would Bob do if he was in my shoes? (laughs) But the interesting thing is, is that all of a sudden I knew what Bob would do. He'd get up, he'd just preach faith, he'd just go for it, and so I got up and just preach faith and go for it. And, and we saw a bunch of people saved and some people healed and, it was, and just the presence of God came. And that, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the power of asking questions to shift our state is incredibly, incredibly important. And I want to suggest to you three questions that we can ask when we need to move ourselves into a better place, into a, to a better state, when we're faced with things that can potentially derail us. We've got to stop asking questions like, why me? It's not a resourceful question. We've got to start, we've got to stop asking questions like, God, what are you thinking? We're not going to get answers to those questions, but we can ask better questions that God will use and the Holy Spirit will use in our lives to shift us. And and we've got to understand this, that your state of mind is your responsibility. I love that it says that David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. Like David took responsibility for his place of faith, for his place, uh, uh, mentally for where he was at. And you know what? No one is going to shift your mental place for you. No one is going to shift your place of faith for you. We each need to take responsibility for where we're at and own that and go, okay, I need to shift that. You know, when I was a kid, my dad used to, when I was in a bad mood, my dad would say to me, snap out of it. Anyone remember their dads or mum saying to them, snap it, you're in a grumpy mean snap out of it. Like well, that was, that would, have been, that would have been helpful except that I didn't know how to. No one ever told me how to. And what I want to teach you this morning is some very helpful questions that will help us snap out of a place of defeat, of no faith, of I don't know how to go forward on this, I don't know what to do, and enable us to come back to a place of faith which the Holy Spirit can then begin to work through us in. First question is this. We need to learn to ask this question. Number one, we should ask, what should I focus on? What should I focus on? You know, the men that were around David, what were they focused on? They were focused on one thing, what they'd lost. That's all it was, what they had lost. They had focused, I'm sure, on everything that they knew from the culture at the time, which is women are raped, men, uh, children are killed, those that are useful as slaves are taken as slaves. They have no idea whether they are, it's a few hours behind these guys or two days behind these guys, and there's no chance of capturing that. And his men are asking the wrong question. They're focused on the wrong things. And this is what I love about what David did. David strengthened himself, how in the Lord. David went to a place of shifting his focus onto the Lord, off the loss, off the pain, off the devastation, and back onto the Lord. That's what worship does for us. That is why worship on Sundays is so powerful. Not only is it about worship, it's not only about declaring that he is Lord, but it's also about shifting our focus back onto the one who has all the answers, the one who has all the power. We talked last week about one angel problems. But you know what, it's only until you start to worship God and and remember how big God is and how powerful he is and the things that he's done in the past, you realize that maybe the problem that you think is so unbelievably insurmountable, actually maybe that's only a one angel problem. Doesn't even need to send a battalion of angels. It's just like a one angel problem. Like, we don't even need we don't even need Gabriel for this. We we could use Frank. Like Frank's not even a very good angel. But Frank could do this. This is easy. You know, we 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 need to get our perspective back on God. I love that David went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. His his focus shifted to the Lord. And we see this again and again in scripture. In fact, we see it again with David. David has sinned with Bathsheba. Um, Bathsheba's got pregnant, he's Killed Uriah. I mean, it's just all going down the toilet very, very fast. And he, he comes to a place where God speaks to him and he, he, he repents, but his, he's now going to lose his son. And in a place of great pain and great potential fear and loss, and what does David do? He just goes and worships the Lord. And, and those around him can't understand how David responds when his son does actually die. But I tell you, it came out of the fact that David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. And the first thing he did was he got his focus right. We see the same with Job. In the book of Job, Job loses everything. I mean, he loses everything. And we can't really comprehend the pain and the bitterness of that unless we've walked a similar journey. And you know, we often criticize Job's wife for his comment, but I don't think we should do that. She had lost her children. She had lost her security. She had lost everything. Her response is completely understandable. Her response is completely normal. And yet when she says to her husband, you should curse God and die, what does Job do? Job gets down and he worships. He says, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Let the name of the Lord be praised. And he shifted his focus on to the Lord. And it says, and in all these things, Job did not sin in what he said. Question for you today is this: Is it what are you focused on, and do you need to shift your focus on to something else? You know, if you're in a place of sadness or depression, I tell you one thing that is absolutely, uh, absolutely consistent in depressed people, and I'm speaking from a place of having my struggles with depression over the years. I tell you what: When I'm in a depressed place, I tell you where my focus is. My focus is all on me, and it's all on my failures. It's all on me, and it's all on my failures. And yet actually in a place of depression, one of the most powerful things that I can do is to shift my focus. Get it back on the Lord, the Lord who can do anything, the Lord who has intervened before, the Lord who will intervene again, the Lord who loves me, the Lord who has paid for my sins, the Lord who has made a way, the Lord who believes in me. You've got to ask the question, what should I focus on? The second thing, if we're going to be people who learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, is we need to ask, okay, once we've shifted our focus, then we ask the question, what action should I take? What action should I take? You see, nothing changes without taking action. And we have to be people of action. Pastor Bill Hybels, speaking um, at Hillsong a number of years ago, spoke about how the first thing he looks for in Christian leaders is are they action-oriented people? Are they talkers or are they doers? Are they people who, who actually, will actually take action and move things and get things done because those are the kind of people that the church needs David shifted his focus back on the Lord. And in that place of focusing on the Lord, he obviously began to ask the questions, okay, what do we need to do now? And he came out of that place knowing exactly what he had to do. And he went to his men and said, we are gonna seek God and ask God, bring the ephod. and We're gonna gonna ask God to lead us on whether we should chase these men down and pursue this or not. When When your focus is on God, when you are in a place of worship, then ask, what do I do? Don't ask, what do I do when your focus is all on your failures, all on your struggles and all on yourself because you will not come up with resourceful answers. But in the place when your faith is again, God, I know you can do anything. God, what do I do now? God, what would you have me do? That is the time when you will get answers that enable you to step into something different. You see, sometimes we forget that God is sovereign. We forget that God sees the things that we don't see. There are times when I absolutely believe God doesn't answer our prayers immediately. He says, wait, there are times I believe when God constrains us for a season because there is a bigger picture and we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. I I love the story that Dr. James Dobson used to tell of one of his children had a couple of hamsters. I'm sure they were either hamsters or or they were rats, but we'll go with hamsters because rats are heinous. So... um, their child had a couple of rats, a couple of henus, ha- a, <laughs> a couple of hamsters, a couple of small furry animals. Their child had some small furry animals in a cage, all right. And, but he said what was intriguing about these two hamsters is that one was quite content. One would, would sit there, eat the food, run on the little wheel, happy hamster. But the other hamster had an obsession with escape. But like all the other hamster would do, he would just pick at the door. He just scratched door. He knew knew that the door was the way out and he spent his entire life trying to get out of that cage. And he said, he he one day walked into the kid's bedroom and and the kids were there. And there was the the little cage and there's the one hamster happily running on the wheel. And there's the other hamster trying to get the door open, trying to get the door open. You know, if you'd asked the hamster, what do you want? That hamster would have said, I just want to get out. Yeah, James Dobson said it was a very interesting lesson for him because what the hamster couldn't see was hiding behind the end of the door was the family cat. Just going, come on, baby, get out. You can do it. Just spring that door. Just spring that door. You know, sometimes when we feel constrained sometimes when we're in challenging places and God doesn't seem to be hearing us those are the times when we've got to trust in the sovereignty of God and there are times when we have to do things that don't make any necessarily rational sense but they're the things that God is telling us to do because they're the right actions to take us forward into the next season you know I think if I was Joseph and I'd ended up in the prison I think I would have gone you know what not interested. Not interested in the prison. The world is terrible. God, I don't even believe you exist anymore. I'm trying to do the right thing. You gave me this dream, and things are just going from bad to worse to worse. And here I am now in a prison. But, but in that place where, where Joseph had his eyes on the Lord, God, what do you want me to do in this place? What? I want you to serve. I want you to serve the jailers. I want you to be the most trustworthy person in this place. I want you to care for others. I mean, it's an intriguing thought, isn't it? You know how, as the story of Joseph unfolds, and and the king's baker and cupbearer end up in the prison, right? You remember the story that they end up in the prison, and it says that Joseph Joseph went to them and saw them downcast, and he asked them, what's wrong? What a ridiculous question. What do you think's wrong? They're in prison. But it's a fascinating picture because it shows us the difference in Joseph. Joseph was in prison, but he still had a sweetness about his spirit. He was in prison, but he still carried hope. In fact, when he saw people who were downcast, he's like, Why are you downcast? Like, we can be in prison and still be fully in the, in the will of God. We can be in prison and still have complete faith that it's just a matter of time until God takes us on to the next thing in the next season. And sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that feel like prisons. And yet, if we can trust in the sovereignty of God, if we can keep our focus on the goodness and the bigness of God, and in that place, God, say, God, okay, God, in this place, what do you want me to do now? And then obey that, then we'll find that those often are the very actions that God uses to take us into the next season in our lives. Number three, the third question to ask is this, what does this mean? Do you realize that you're always asking that question in your life? What does this mean? Something good happens, what does this mean? It means God loves me. It means I'm doing great. Or if something goes well at work, what does this mean? It means I'm, I'm talented, I'm an asset, I'm valued. Something goes bad, what does this mean? God doesn't love me anymore. Something doesn't go well at work, what does it mean? I'm an idiot, I'm a fool, I, I, I'm never gonna succeed, I'm never gonna get ahead. We're always interpreting the circumstances in our lives and we're, we're kind of writing the story of our lives as we go. Psychologists call it the internal narrative that is always going on inside of us. But it's incredibly important for us to realize that we have to interpret the circumstances of our lives through God's perspective and not through the world's. I'm gonna say that again. We have to interpret the circumstances of our lives through God's perspective and not through the world's. And, And most of the time we don't realize that we can interpret things in two completely different ways. I mean, you think about Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, he gets imprisoned in Robben Island. Now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you without a shadow of a doubt, there were moments when he was asking, what has happened? How did I end it? What does this mean for me? But here's the interesting thing. He could have interpreted those circumstances in two completely different ways. He could have gone, oh my gosh, I'm in prison. Like, I've been judged in the court of law and I'm in prison. That must mean I'm a criminal. I must be a bad person. I must have got all this whole thing wrong. I I, I need to stop. Clearly I need to stop. I need to get my life right. I'm a bad man. He could have interpreted it that way or he could have interpreted it this way. The whole system is so corrupt and they are so threatened by me and they're so threatened by what the change we're trying to bring that the only response was to lock me up. How powerful is that? He could have interpreted it that way. And in fact, that was how we interpreted, it because that was the reality. Now, I'm telling you, in your life, when things happen to you, you are always asking the question, what does this mean? And we've got to, that's why we've got to ask the first question, uh, which is about our focus. And if we're focused on the Lord, then we see our lives through that. You see, my life story is not a life story of a guy who struggles and struggles and fails and struggles and struggles and fails and ultimately is going down the toilet, <laughs> despite that's how it feels some days, right? My life story is I'm a guy who's a very ordinary guy, but God took a hold of me and God had a plan for my life and God forgave my sins and God leads me by his spirit and I keep learning new things and I find that as I engage more and more with him and his spirit and his word and and I get focused on loving people, God uses me to do great things and I have full confidence that the older I get, the more God is gonna be able to use me because I am a lifelong learner. And I believe that in the God has redeemed my life, he wants to use my redeemed life to redeem other people's lives. And as God has encouraged me, he wants to use me to encourage others. And I absolutely believe that in the end, my life will be used for good on this planet, that there will be be ripples from my life that will go on beyond me. And I believe the same thing for you. Because isn't that the story of what God does? That is, our God is a redeeming God. He takes what is broken and makes it new. He gives us beauty for ashes. He is the one who takes what is ruined and restores it. God has good things planned for you and for me. And we have got to choose to interpret our circumstances correctly because that is what enables us to continue to see God's work in our lives and believe Him for what is ahead. You know, whether you are in despair like David or in a place of success right now, I'm telling you, you've got to ask the question, what should I focus on? Should I focus on me, how talented I am, how useful I am to this company? I tell you, the word of God says pride comes before a fall. And whether you're in a successful place or in a desperate place, when we get our eyes on the Lord, that brings right perspective to our world and what is possible. Whether you are in despair like David or in success, the next question you've always got to ask from a place of worship is, what do I do, Lord? What action do I take now? What is the next step for me? Who do I reach out to? Who do I bless and influence? God, what would you have me do now? It's a powerful question that enables us, It enables us in our marriages, enables us with our children, enables us with our work colleagues, it enables us with our employees. God, because you are sovereign, because you have a plan, and purpose in my life, God, what should I do today? God will lead us in incredible ways. And the third question, what does this mean? whether you're in a dark place or whether you're in a light place, I'm telling you, you must be able to rightly interpret your circumstances so that we understand what God is doing and so that we do not allow the devil to get a foothold in our lives and lead us down a path of darkness and bitterness. And you know, these three things are both biblical and critical. Let me read this to you from Revelations chapter 12. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How do we triumph? over the work of the devil in our lives. How do we do that? Three things. We've got to make sure that we don't spend our lives focused on our sin. Our focus should be on the blood of Jesus. That's what our focus should be on. And everything that goes on in our lives, we should look at through the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for us so that our sin past, present, and future could be dealt with. You see, the weight of sin is a crushing weight. The weight of sin is a crushing weight. But the blood of Jesus that frees us from that is the only thing that liberates us to be the men and women of God that He has called us to be in this world. There are are no one on the planet, no one on the planet who should be as courageous and brave and creative and innovative as a bunch of Christians who understand that the Redeemer has dealt with their sin. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on His blood, focus on what He has done for us on the cross, that is the power that breaks the voice of the accuser, who constantly wants to put us down, knock us down, steal our joy, take away our purpose and our plan. Second thing is, as our actions in faith. It's intriguing. It says we that, that about these ones, these saints who overcame, who triumphed over the devil, that they did not love their lives so much that they shrank back. In Hebrews, it says that we are not of those who shrink back, but we are those of faith who press forward. And I tell you, if there's one thing that sin and failure will, ma- will do in your life, it will make you shrink back. And that's why when we see our lives through the blood of Jesus and we realize we've been set free, then we can press on in God. We can step out no matter what our circumstances are. We can hear what the voice of God is and we can take action on that and we can move in faith. That is what we are. We are not to be people who shrink back. And I'm telling you this, anything in your life, anything in your life that makes you shrink back is not of God. Now, there are times when God says, step back. But stepping back is completely different from shrinking back. And when we have got our focus right, when we see the blood of Jesus, when we see God as preeminent in our lives and then... Then we're in a place to press forward, to step out of faith bravely and courageously. And then lastly, our story, the word of our testimony, that God loved us so much that He gave His only Son, that whosoever should believe in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's our testimony. Our testimony is that in all things, He is working for the good of those who love Him. Amen? And who are called according to His purpose. That is our testimony. And we, however we interpret our circumstances, we must interpret our circumstances in light of Scripture. In light of the testimony of God in our lives. You know, David David was was one of the greatest kings of Israel. He's remembered as that. And he's such an example for us. David led his men to rescue the families, the kids, and their wives, even their possessions. They got it all back. What must that reunion have been like? Can you imagine it just for a moment? Many of you know the Ali, our eldest is uh, overseas. She's gone off to America, 18 years old. Well, before she left, I made her sit down with me and watch the movie Taken. No, you will not take a ride from any boy anywhere at any point at any time. But I wanted her to be aware. I wanted her to be aware. And, I, and I, it, was also, it was a much more disturbing movie uh, when you watch it with your daughter who's about to leave home, I tell you, than when you watch it with a bunch of mates if you don't know the story it's a story about a young, a young woman overseas for the first time 17 years old gets abducted by sex traffickers and it's the story of how her father played by Liam Neeson tracks her down and rescues her it's not an easy movie to watch and I'm not recommending that you should watch it but it is a powerful movie and is helpful in the rescue scene where Liam Neeson who plays the dad finally, finally gets to his daughter and rescues her There's this wonderful moment when she turns and sees him and bursts into tears and cries, You came for me. I imagine that scene played out hundreds of times on that plane when David and his men finally got to their children and to their wives and they turned and saw him and cried out, me tell you today, Jesus came for you. And in the midst of our circumstances, troubles, and trials, in the midst of our losses and our wins, in the midst of all of those things, let us never forget that he came for you. What I love about David's story is that all of this happened because one man did not succumb to the darkness One man went and strengthened himself in the Lord. And these are the questions that can enable us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. When it's tough, don't shrink back. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. When it hurts, don't get bitter. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. When you're afraid and you just want to look for someone to blame, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Because those who strengthen themselves in the Lord will do great exploits for God and will save many people from loss. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you as we close this morning. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, that you have given within each of us, Lord, the power to triumph over the devil, Lord. When the accuser comes, God, tries to knock us down, put us down, God, to sideline us and take us out of the game, God, I thank you, Lord, that like David, we are called to be men and women who strengthen ourselves in the Lord. God, let us always be people who come back to worship, shift our focus back on to you. God, let us always be people who in that place are ready and willing to press our press on and take action. And God, let us always be people who will interpret our circumstances through the light of your story. Hallelujah. God, for those of us here today, Lord, For those of us here who need to shift our focus, God, would you enable us, help us to do that right now, God, as we take responsibility for the state of our faith, the state of our heart and our mind. For those of us here, Lord, who don't know you personally or maybe have been away for a long time, God, I pray, Lord, as we just lift our eyes to you again, as we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, as we confess our sins to you, God, I thank you that you will receive us back and make us your own. And God, for those of us, Lord, who are in a great season, God, let us not be distracted by shifting our focus onto ourselves or onto our success, but let us always remember where every good thing comes from. God, we worship you today. We lift our hearts to you today. Make us strong, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come with us. We're going to sing one last time as we close our service out today.
1: This morning, part of what Mike prayed at the end there, you kind of made a decision to actually follow Jesus again, or maybe you've actually never made that choice to follow Jesus for the first time. And as Mike prayed, you determined to do that once again. We would really love to give you um, a pack with a Bible, and it's got some things in it. So as you go from the service this morning, please either come and see me if you did that or as the ushers, there'll be a couple of ushers at the door with bags that have got bits and pieces and that will just help you on that journey with that Um, really, really exciting stuff. I also just want to say for those that came over and were part of Replenish, we had an amazing women's conference this last weekend and God did some really amazing stuff amongst us and we also had some people from here that volunteered and just really served faithfully over the weekend so you know who you are and I want to say thank you for doing that Um, and if you're a visitor with us this morning we want to say come and meet us we've got a table set up for you Uh, we want to shout you a coffee and get to know you otherwise have an amazing week church you are an incredible bunch of people and uh, we'll see you next week